So tonight is January 11th, 2012. Our message this evening is Texas olive trees. Now there are no olive trees in Texas, but that's a little bit of a joke for us. We see mesquite trees everywhere. How many of you like to barbecue with mesquite? It also makes beautiful furniture. Our communion table is made out of mesquite. This pulpit that was a gift uh, from a church that I spoke in this last week, Port Lavaca Christian Center, is made of mesquite. Mesquite is a beautiful wood, don't you think so? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to replace that pulpit that I cut my thumb off uh, making with this one that an artist made. Yeah? yeah? He loves the Lord, and his life is a testimony to the power of God. The man had no formal education, had no training, but he wandered into a spirit-filled prayer meeting. Didn't know what it was, thought it was crazy, a bunch of people that spoke in other tongues. He actually just thought it was a multilingual group. A humble electrician who was a pastor prophesied to him, the Lord is going to give you a trade. He's going to give you one. That was saying something because the man couldn't fill out an application. He didn't write well. He had no job. He had to go home to his family and had no job. On the way home, though, as it would happen, he saw some furniture in the dumpster. Now, you have to imagine where a man would have to be to be looking at furniture in a dumpster. But he pulled it out of the dumpster and he began to get fascinated with the way it was put together. Twenty years later, he ran back into that same spirit-filled electrician, except he's a pastor. And the man has sold millions and millions of dollars worth of mesquite, longleaf pine furniture to the rich and famous all over the world. See, our king has got a future planned out for us. And I'm far less interested in, in millions and millions of dollars as I am a heart that yearns for Jesus. And when he found out we were coming, uh, he wanted to have some gift for us. And he made us a pulpit. Uh, do y'all think that's pretty? Amen. I do. We're going to put Yeshua HaMashiach on it and uh, rework our, our sound and video. Uh, that We never use our video, really. But we're going to rework that so that uh, we can use that and it becomes movable for weddings and stuff. But our topic tonight is Texas olive trees. Y'all turn with me to Luke 8. Does anybody know why we're in Luke 8? If I told you we were going to be in Luke 8 in Leviticus 24, what, what might you surmise from that? The reading plan. Yesterday, the church reading plan was Luke 8 and Leviticus 24. And you think, what on earth could those two things have to do with each other? The Bible is 66 books of contiguous revelation. There is no such thing as old and new. That's something that other people put upon the titles. It is all one revelation of God with no division in it. In Luke 8, we find this passage, starting in verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken. When we're thinking of a light in biblical days, John or David, somebody, would you turn that on? In biblical days, this is what a light looked like. This is a first century Herodian lamp. Actually, when you look at these, 
This is one from an archaeological dig in Israel. You would fill this lamp with something. Something had to be poured in from the outside. And when you filled it, then you could light the other end on fire. And it would bring illumination to a house like this lit lamp. The idea was, in a day where you don't have electricity, you had to bring something in from an outside source. Fill an empty vessel, and when you filled that empty vessel, it would bring a service to everything around it. Nobody filled that vessel and lit it on fire so that they could hide it under a bed or put it in a jar. They filled it for a purpose. They filled it that it might affect every bit of the environment around them. And friends, light drives out darkness. Amen. Darkness runs from it. It finds cracks and crevices to hide in. And the brighter the light, the further it has to run. Are you beginning to see a message there? Yeah. But you could not fill these lamps with just anything. Turn with me to Leviticus 24. These lamps had to be filled with something special. The reason that I'm picking from your readings every week, every message, and at least referring to them is because I want you to understand that the Word of God is an inexhaustible mine of wealth. There is... On every page, a 70-sided jewel. You can turn it one way and it will gleam and it will, it will illuminate your life. You can turn it another way and you see something new in it. The Word of God is anything but boring. It is awesome and it is amazing. There has been a full-scale attack to suppress that idea. All of our TV, all of our media, everything presents one idea. The Bible is old and the Bible is boring. This comes from people who have never read it and do not know what is in it. They say that they have, but they have no idea about the stories in the Judges. They have no idea that Paul was both shipwrecked and snake-bitten all in one chapter. This is an amazing thing. We find real men and women in the Bible just like us. I've been in church many years. And I heard all of the stories and I intellectually accepted the fact that Jesus was Lord. I had no argument with that. Of course, demons do the very same thing. They tremble at his name, James said. Dustin Shirt he wears all the time says, five out of five demons believe Jesus is Lord. It does nothing for them. But there was a day when the illumination of God's Spirit entered me. And when that happened and I looked at the Word, it was no longer stories about someone else, somewhere else. They were men, just like us. And I desired with all of my heart to be like them. One of the things I was very surprised about is I could not find a single, dainty, limp-wristed, political one in the whole group. Not the kind that would say, Brother, I just love you. I couldn't find one anywhere in the Word. What I found was regular men who ate, walked, lived, breathed, suffered, stood up to, did all kinds of, they were men and women of God. Our conception cannot be based on what we see with purple-haired people on the Christian channels. Our perception of what a Christian is looks more like what we find in the jungle in India. What you find in the uh, garbage dumps right outside Mexico. Our perception of what Christians are are men who go into dark places, but they are so filled with something that it brings light everywhere around them. And the darkness cannot overcome them. Man, the church has become some kind of spiritual safety deposit box. Some kind of aquarium. We don't go fish for men. We sit and look at how beautiful we are. 
This is why I won't take from church funds to buy chairs. I won't do it. The church funds are for reaching the lost around the world. This is what God has called us to. Not some bless me club. If we want a bless me club, y'all go join Oprah's book club and you'll be just fine. You can talk about whatever interests you. It will never convict you. It will never change your life. You can just do that. But that's not why you're here. You're here because you too have read this book. And God's Spirit has begun to move in you. And you have begun to desire to change the world that we live in. The Jews call this tikkun ha'olam. We have a responsibility to repair the world. It was given to us. It was put in our trust. And darkness has invaded us and the world. It begins with the light of God's Word coming into us, driving out darkness so that we can then join God's team and do the same all around us. Friends, there is a battle between the kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness. Are you in Leviticus 24? Yes. In Leviticus 24, let's just read the first couple verses. The Lord said to Moshe, Yahweh said to Moses, Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. How often were the lamps to burn? Continually. What kind of oil went in them? Clear. Clear oil. How do you get clear oil? It had to be pressed olives. Sharon, you were in Israel here recently. I've been to Israel a couple times. Spent a month there the last time, but one of my favorite stops is always a garden called Gethsemane. It's an ancient olive press. A place where they pressed oil. And that oil was used in the temple and used all over Israel so that lamps would be kept burning continually. Anybody ever live near a Jewish community? Have Jewish friends? Anybody in here have Jewish family? Every year while we run around and celebrate a fat guy in a red suit, they're celebrating Hanukkah. A time when God miraculously gave them the oil that they needed so that the light of God would burn in the temple despite the darkness around. You tell me which is a more biblical holiday. Uh, but I'm not picking on the fat guy in the red suit. He was a Christian in the third century as well. Clear oil. Turn with me to Exodus 27. I want you to hear it in one other place and then we'll move on with this. Are y'all tired tonight? You're not talking. Are you mad at me? No. Come on, say, Pastor, I'm here. There we go. In Exodus 27, let's read the 20th verse. Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. God wanted a light that would be kept burning. You don't hide lights when you light them. The very purpose for lighting them is putting them out there on a stand to change the environment around them. Do you remember Jesus said, if salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for except to be thrown out? There is a purpose for a lamp. And if that purpose is not being fulfilled, then what is it good for? Yeah? Let's look at this. I want to show you one other thing. Do the pictures help you sometimes? Yes. This is how we get oil. In ancient Israel, we have something called an olive press. The way that you say this in Hebrew is Gethsemane, the pressing of an olive. The way that that works is you can see in this picture that we have a fulcrum at one end. And at the other end of the lever, we have four 
weights, a series of weights. This is a very typical biblical olive press. By the way, there's one not a stone's throw from where they say Jesus was buried. Check this out. This is another picture where you can see the weights. You can see the trough where you would put olive bags would be right here. As the weight presses on this, the oil would run out through a trough and be collected. The more weight, the more oil that would come out. This is what an olive tree looks like. Olive trees are amazing things. Sometimes their root system is over 2,000 years old. The Wikipedia article I read today said they have absolutely verified that there are olive trees today existing in Israel that are more than 3,000 years old. In fact, in some cases you can cut down an olive tree at the stump and you can find pictures of another olive tree growing right out of the center of it. In fact, if you shake that tree and olives fall to the ground and the soil around it, they spring up as little olive shoots. Olive trees are tenacious multipliers. The way that you get oil out of an olive tree is you beat the tree. You beat it. Of course, the book of Deuteronomy said, when you harvest your olives and you go to beat the tree, don't you beat it more than once. Like what a strange thing to say. The immediate implication, the most obvious implication, was that God wanted something left on the tree for the alien and the foreigner. But there's a more spiritual one right behind the text. Jesus is like that olive tree in Israel. He would be squeezed and he would be pressed. And out of him would come the anointing of God. But it would only happen one time. Friends, he's risen. He's risen never to suffer again. He's seated at the right hand of God. So if anointing is going to be squeezed out somewhere, who's it coming from? Those of us who will participate in the fellowships of His suffering. We are His body. He is at the right hand of God never to suffer again. But we stand in His stead. And if we act like Him, they will treat us like Him. This is why the Bible says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. This was never the plan. The plan was that we would find God's remnant. That we would preach the gospel to all of the nations and out of each nation some would want to run out of the darkness into the light coming out of our lives. Olive oil looks a little bit like blood at first. These are bags being squeezed. Four weights plus men pushing down upon it have caused this olive to bleed into this bowl, and then bleed into this bowl. Have you ever seen uh, American advertisings that say, virgin olive oil? That's to indicate purity, right? What on earth is extra virgin olive oil? <laughs> Never even thought about things, huh? I mean, who knows what extra virgin olive oil means? But where this comes from is in ancient times, each pressing brought out a little more pulp. Yeah. Anybody in here ever made orange juice? Yeah. The, at first when you squeeze it, it's pure juice. But the more you squeeze it, the more you twist it, the more you contort it, a little of the flesh of that fruit comes out. Yeah. When you brought oil to the Lord, there could be no flesh in it. He only wanted that which He put in you. The lamp would only burn with clear oil. If it was full of flesh, there was nothing to burn. It would only smoke. Mm. Let's talk about these pressings. There are four kinds of olive pressings. 
The first is the anointing oil for the lamps in the temple. Is it a surprise that if you're an olive farmer and you gather your crops together, that the very first pressing, the very first stone that would be laid upon the olive beam, the, the olive wood that became the olive press, the very first one would yield the anointing oil of God. Almost no work or pressure for man. It just exudes the anointing. The second one contained just a little bit more contaminant. The first one was clear as could be. The second one was lamps for your house and medicines for human beings. It's not quite what went into the temple. The very best went into the temple. The second best came to us. I wonder how many people are giving their very best to God and keeping the second best for themselves. You know, it's a funny thing. I was in business for many years. An owner in physical therapy clinics did all kinds of things. People don't have any problem giving a waiter 20% for bringing them a Coke. But our first question when it comes to giving God is gross or net. The third pressing was for your food, things that you would eat, and medicine for animals. Now today, people might buy the purest medicine for their animals and not worry about their kids, but back then, animals got the third pressing. So when David said, uh, better than a righteous man would strike me, it is an oil, it is a kindness to me, rather than that I would stray from the will of God. This is because he was a shepherd. And the way that you were kind to your sheep is from that third pressing of oil, you would put it upon the sheep's head and it would keep away ear mites. It would keep away flies from their sensitive areas. It was useful. It was good for something. Any of you like to eat olive oil? Yeah. Two of you like to eat olive oil? What about the rest of you? Yeah. Yeah. Olive oil is one of the best things you can eat. Amen. I mean, it really is. It's good for you in every way. The fourth pressing was an interesting one. By this time, we have drained every drop of oil out of the olive. It has bled its last heavy drop. And what is coming out now contains pulp. It contains a piercing of the flesh. You know what you did with that? That became your fire starter. That became whatever you were going to use for unclean purposes. Right? Not everything in Israel was clean. If you needed to do something that was unclean, that involved an olive, it had to come from the fourth pressing. Now, before we talk about these pressings further, before we get into that further, tell me, don't all trees have some characteristics? Yes. When you think of an oak, what do you think of? Strong. 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 That's right. Oak almost always represents strength and durability. When you think about a pine tree, what do you think about? Flexibility, quick growth, tall, right? You can plant a pine tree, come back 15 minutes later, and it's taller than your house. I, I don't know why that is. You can also shoot fox squirrels out of them, huh, Matthew? When you think of a cedar tree, maybe bug resistant, right? People lying there are humidity resistant. For those of you that have wine cellars or humidors or whatever you have. Every kind of tree is known for a certain characteristic that it produces. If you mention Australian tiki wood, you might think uh, of what we have built out there. It, it's corrosion resistant. It doesn't rot. The olive tree is known for certain things. I'd like to show you a few of those. Is that okay? Yeah. This is a Wikipedia article. You see that the title of it is Growth and Propagation. The 
subject here is the olive tree. Look what they say as we get right here. It says, uh, olive trees show a marked preference for calcareous soils, flourishing best on limestone slopes and crags. How many of you want to go plant a flower and you look for a nice limestone parking lot? <laughs> yeah, what do, you, what do you usually plant things in? The best soil you can find, right? Not an olive tree. The way God designed this, He designed it to grow in what he call, they call calcareous soils, flourishing best on limestone slopes and crags in coastal climate conditions. They grow in any light soil, even on clay if well drained. But in rich soils, they are predisposed to disease and produce poorer oil than in poorer soil. What are we in bizarro world? Is this opposite day? How does this work? There's no line there that says citation needed on the Wikipedia article. You know why? This goes back as far as Pliny the Elder in the second century. This has been well noted as a characteristic of the olive tree. The worse soil you put it in, the better crop it produces. Kind of like a lamp. The darker the room that you put it in, the bigger effect it has on the room. Is it any wonder then that God's people were known by the olive tree? Israel has always been referred to as one of three kinds of tree. A running vine, speaking of natural Israel, stretching out all over the earth. A fig tree, speaking of religious Israel, that at times failed to, to uh, produce its fruit. And lastly, an olive tree that brought the anointing of God to the rest of the world. They're designed, Christians, believers, uh, messianics, whatever you want to call the followers of Jesus, the lovers of Yahweh God, were designed for climates with poor soil. Olives like hot weather and temperatures below 14 degrees may injure even the mature trees. There's only one thing that olives don't like, cold. You got to keep them close to the fire. You got to put them in heat. It goes on right here to say they tolerate drought very well thanks to their extensive and sturdy root system. Come on now, put me in some yucky soil. Let me stretch my roots out all around. I will produce fruit that will change this place. Because if you're a God, you bloom where you are planted. You don't whine about the drought, you do something about the drought. Come on now, how many of us had a rough day? How about a rough week? Anybody had a rough year? 2011 was one I'm happy I survived. God did not put us here simply to be beaten. When we take the beating, it is to yield oil. When it yields oil, it's to go in a lamp. When it goes in a lamp, it is to change the landscape, friends. There are no victims in Christianity. There is no such thing as a lover of God that is also a victim because we have already conquered death. What else can they do to us? Amen. Come on now. This is an attitude. It's a perspective that says, no, 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 no. Don't give me the best land. Put me where their most need is. Don't put me in a comfortable place. I will develop a disease. Yes. I want to tell you that what the devil could not accomplish through persecution, mm -hmm. through affliction, he accomplished simply by acceptance. As soon as the state religion of Rome became Christianity, 
Every year it died a little more. An edict of toleration killed Christianity as we knew it in the first few centuries. But in the first few centuries, specifically the first two, when you got born again, the expectation was martyrdom. When you got born again, the expectation was that you would go shine brightly and somebody would try to snuff you out. During those first two centuries, the gospel went around the known globe, translated into more than 400 languages. As soon as it was, it was accepted in 313 and an edict of toleration, within a hundred years, the 400 languages had been reduced to a single language. They call it holy, I say it's unholy. Latin. You could no longer read the Bible in Hebrew. No longer read the Bible in Greek. All the languages of the world were reduced to one. That only one people group in the world spoke. Today it is a dead language. The only people that speak it anymore are doctors. And you can't understand what they say or what they write. Even if it's in English. <laughs> this killed the church. So let me ask you something. If what the devil could not accomplish through persecution, he did through affluence, then why do we want to become rich? Who wants to be rich in faith? There's only one group of people that Jesus said specifically are rich in faith, and they are the poor. And yet our American dream is to become rich. If you desire more things, they better be for someone else. Let the overflow come to you. I'm not against you being blessed, but I'm telling you that the devil has enslaved the nations to materialism. The heart of the gospel is one that is selfless, one that starts in Jerusalem and moves to Samaria and then to Judea and then to the ends of the world. What began inside with a small flame shines so brightly that it changed the landscape of the whole world. The gospel always radiates outward. It is never inward. The thing that is most disgusting about the nation that we live in. We've sent Bibles around the world and that's an amazing thing. We've sent missionaries around the world and that's an amazing thing. But in the last hundred years we've become very selfish. Every message you hear, everything that you see is all about how we can get more. How we can be more comfortable. How you can have a grace explosion in your neighborhood. Like there hadn't been enough grace spread around. Right? Not long ago I showed you the top 10 most prominent books in the Christian bookstore I walked into that day. Not one of them had to do with reaching the lost. Not one of them had to do with giving it all the way. Not one of them had to do with bleeding for the gospel. We found a book on spiritual yoga, Christian yoga, but we could not find a book about men who were risking their lives for the gospel, not prominently displayed. You know why? It's not what sells. Church, we've got to grow up. We have to be bigger than this. We have to be more like Jesus who gave his all. When we think about these four pressings, understand, he was not planted in good soil. He was planted in his hometown where nobody recognized him. He was not planted in a place that should produce immediate success. In fact, he said, birds have nests, foxes have holes in the ground. I've got no place. To lay my head. He had hardship at every possible turn. He told Herod, you tell that fox I will press on today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. He had a holy tenacity. 
Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world. He said it standing in the temple right next to giant candelabras called menorahs that commemorated the time that Israel followed a light in the desert. But in Matthew 5, he said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. He did not fill you. He did not light you to hide you. He did not say, you know what, Christians, it's tough out there. Be cowards and go hide in your churches. You won't find that scripture anywhere, but in the book of Revelation, you will find that no worker of magic, no idolater, and no coward will enter the city that he is building. You will find that. I'm looking for the heart of men like C.T. Studd or John Gibson Patton or any of the John G. Lake, any of the great missionaries that said, how about Jim Elliot? He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Patton. They said, the cannibals, the cannibals. He said, I don't much care whether I die and am eaten by cannibals or not. You and I will both die, but on that day I will rise to glory. How about you? We've become too concerned with how padded our chairs are how nice our sound systems are, and not nearly concerned enough about those who never heard and don't have clean drinking water and don't have shelter even from the rain. We quote scriptures out of context like the poor you will have with you always, forgetting that Jesus fed them at every turn. He could take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people simply powered by God's compassion. What are we powered by? Saints, I am so proud of what God is doing here. We started as a tiny handful in a living room. And now God has seen fit to add to us people from other states and all kinds of places. But that was not so we could build our own kingdom. Every resource He adds to us, every dollar that He adds to us, every person He adds to us is for the equipping of the saints to reach the world. That's the point. That is the point. And we can't very well go reach the folks in Tanzania if we will not stretch out right here in Walmart. That's right. Next time you're standing next to somebody that says, Dude, I got so wasted Friday. I don't even remember how I got home. And they're speaking foully and all the things that lost people do because that's what lost people do. Sinner, sand, and dogs bark. That's, that's how it works. How about you begin praising the Lord? When they look at you like you're crazy, just tell them you were praising your God. I thought I would praise mine for a while. Let your light shine towards the darkness. Let's see what happens. If you put the right kind of dog in a box with the right kind of cat, we are going to have a fight. If you open that box and look in and the cat and the dog are laying down on each other, petting each other, you bought your dog in San Francisco. It's the wrong kind of dog. Participating in it. Right. Not standing pleasantly saying, you stay over there, we'll stay over here, and we don't have to fight, you know? We're not Swiss. We don't remain neutral in this conflict. I have to quit saying that I'm going to Switzerland in a week. <laughs> Two weeks. My goodness. You know what? I'll get myself out of trouble. We'll get right back in the Word. Is that fair? Yeah. Turn with me to Matthew 26. 
When you think about what an olive tree is, it is tenacious. It is rooted into ancient sources. It is a prolific multiplier. It loves heat and drought. It is useful for producing light. It is useful for producing food, furniture, shade. It's useful in any situation, and so are the people of God when they act like God. In Matthew 26, which apparently is not in my Bible at the moment, in Matthew 26, we find a garden scenario. Picking up somewhere around the 36th verse. Gethsemane, the place of the olive press. Then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with Him, and He began to be sorrowful and troubled. You don't see Jesus sorrowful and troubled very often. Friends, you know what is just about the only thing that ought to make you sorrowful? Because the Word says, be joyful always and pray continually. The weight of sin. The weight of sin should make us sorrowful. And like Corinthians says, godly sorrow leads us to repentance. Worldly sorrow, regret and death. The last time you were sorry, was it because we didn't get something we wanted? Or was it because of sin? The oppressive, crushing weight of sin destroying the lives of the people that are around you. Darkness is reigning all around us. In John 9, Jesus said, there are only so many hours of light in which we can work. Darkness comes when no man can work. So that as long as it is day, as long as it is light, we do the work of Him who sent me. The ancient rabbis used to say, and we're going to come back to this, when God said, let there be light, and there was light, and the light was separated from the darkness, and we had evening, and we had morning, and we had the first day, the rest of the Bible is commentary on that one verse. Our God is light, and He produces it. He emanates it. He puts it in you and causes it to come out, and it causes a separation that brings order to the world. That's the point. You don't start in the Bible with light and move to darkness. You start with darkness. That's the way we were born, and you move towards light. That's why evening and then morning, the first day. Come on now. Will you... Born again from the womb? No. Were you basically a good person? No. See, these are all lies. They're lies by political institutions that wanted your money. They're lies. We're not basically good people. We're, we're not light out of the womb. We had a terrible nature. An awful enemy of God. And something happened. The king of the universe was pressed at every turn that what was in him might be found in us. And when you fill a lamp with oil, it is so that it can burn brightly, not so that it sits around and has a pedicure. That was never the point. Now, if somebody out there is having pedicures and manicures, I'm not picking on you. You do whatever you need to do. Your feet might be that ugly. But let's get real for a moment. My daughter Abigail was startled and half naked and in a distant land where I couldn't get to her. 
came to you and said, Tara, I can't get to her, but if you call yourself my friend, you'll help her. If I came and said, Brandy, Tara's trying, but she can't get it done. If you call yourself my friend, you will help Abigail. I cannot get there. I said, Dee Dee, my baby is out there cold and naked and hurting. And I don't know whether she's going to make it. What kind of friends of mine would you be if you didn't go? See, because they're the Lord's baby. They're His children. And they're scattered in the nations of the world waiting for the Lord's people to take that oil that He gave them and bring light and food and medicine to a hurting dark place. This is what we're called to do. Let me ask you, would you feel more rewarded if we had Roman columns in here and beautiful art and our church budget was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars all spent right here and you could bring people in and say, look at what we have built. Or if we have none of those things, but you found one little Abigail and saved her. You tell me what we should value. This is not a UNICEF commercial. I'm not bringing in swollen kids and gnats and flies so that I can take 90% of what you give and trickle down a few percent to them. This is the gospel of the living God. This is how it works. God blesses you so that you can go out and change lives. That's it. That's the heart of the gospel. We're looking for new programs for our youth, new programs for everybody all of the time, new programs. We haven't completed the first program he gave us. Go into all the world preaching this gospel of the kingdom. Amen. When we finish that one, then we will start another program. Then Jesus went away with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. I'm never going to fault you for looking at a difficulty and saying... I wish there was some other way. But at the end of the day, when you cannot get out of a situation, you go right through it. The whole church is based its whole theology on the idea that if it gets tough, we are not here. And the problem with that is that right now we don't expect to have to be tough. You can't come away with any other conclusion from reading a book like Fox's Book of Martyrs then the people of God have been the most tenacious olive trees that the world has ever known. And it is an anomaly in this century, in this country, that we get to sit back and be so spiritually fat that we cannot get off of our backsides and pews to do something. You ever see a show where somebody is shut in their house? They can no longer get off of the bed and walk out the door because they literally don't fit? I watched a show the other night called The Half-Ton Dad. And I was moved with compassion. The man weighed 1,036 pounds. For seven years, he had not been able to walk. It didn't look like a human being. His feet were swollen to look like something animalistic. 
wanted was his mobility again. Mm. Eating 30,000 calories a day. Mm. It's two weeks groceries in a single day. When I look at it, you know what I saw? The church. Mm. We have the best food in the world and we're eating it and eating it and eating it and eating it. And it has so filled our lives, but we have never had an outlet for it and don't do anything with it. And we are stuck in our houses. And it is pathetic. I'm not telling you this to beat you up. I'm telling you this because there was a day where a man made a decision. There was a day in which he said, I can sit here and continue going the way I'm going until I could never leave my house again. Or I refuse to lay down. I can get out and do something. We have a decision before us. We can lay down and just soak it all in. Keith Green sang about this in the 80s. He said, the church was asleep in the light. Bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, is all I ever hear. No one hurts, no one even sheds. One tear, he said. He sang songs about a billion starving people. He was so moved that that's where his heart gravitated, although he was a recording artist. Now people want to be recording artists so they can be famous. That's all they want. There's only one reason to want to be famous, friends. Only one godly reason. That you might take everything that he has given you and use it for him. Everybody makes that promise and almost nobody keeps it. What are we doing with what God has given us right now? Maybe we should consider that before we ask for even one more thing. Would you be a good parent if your kids spent Gabe, you're 11? 10. You're about to be 11. It's my son. I should know that. If I gave Gabe $100 and he spent $100 on pure white sugar, got a straw and was doing lines with it right into his mouth, just like... I was going to say like my dad used to do, but some of you... I did just say that, didn't I? <laughs> my dad was a cocaine addict, forgive me. What kind of father would I be if I said, you're done with that? You finished the 10 pounds of sugar? Or 100 pounds of sugar? Whatever $100 will buy. Here's another 100 Keep after it, son. Get all you can. I wouldn't be a good father, would I? At some point, I guess I can't give you any more money. You're not doing the right things with it. And that would be the best gift he could ever have. What if this whole nation gets humbled? economically. You think our priorities might change? If a Bible was a rare thing, you would treasure it. If a Bible was a rare thing, you would treasure it. But as long as you can find one anywhere, it can remain dusty. Yeah. Okay. Jesus began to pray. As he began to pray, in verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He goes away once, and when he comes back, they're asleep. He goes away twice, and when he comes back, they're asleep. Each time, he's being further and further pressed. He goes away a third time. On the third time, the Gospel of Luke says, He sweat as if it were drops of blood. Every early reader of this would have went, He was in Gethsemane, and He sweat like drops of blood, and they would have remembered that picture where it looked like the olives were bleeding 
under an olive press. And when he was pushed to the nth degree, his last word on the subject was, Your will be done. Father, your will be done. There were only three pressings in Gethsemane. Do you remember what those first three pressings were for? The first three pressings were the anointing oil in the temple. Jesus had been in the temple. He had uh, declared, if any man can prove me guilty of sin, let him speak. In the temple, he also said, I am the light of the world, the second purpose for the oil lamps. How many times had he been food for the masses? In fact, this very night, he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. The first three pressings had to do with those three things. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, all of them were pressed out of him. Where is the fourth pressing? Where does it come? How is it? How could we have every other detail line up so that we have Jesus praying in an olive press and he prays three times and is pressed each time? Why would God not complete that fourth pressing? Why would it not work? Do you remember what the fourth pressing was? It was to start a fire and to be used for unclean purposes. Come on, at his crucifixion, did he kindle a fire? At his crucifixion, did his oil get used for an unclean purpose? Yes, it got spread on you. Yes. Come on. Saints, he gave every drop he had for us. Everything that he is has been poured into us if we want him. Everything. Peter says it this way, he has made you to participate in the divine nature. He goes on to say he's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. Jesus said he was the light of the world, but in Matthew he says you were the light of the world. He has made us like Him, this is why He calls us His body. Is it any wonder then that the Bible speaks of olive trees like this? We have two scriptures and then we close. Turn with me to Psalm 52. There. I appreciate that there were no applause at the idea that we would close within two scriptures. I didn't tell you we were going to read the whole chapters. Psalm 52. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Your tongue blocks destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You who practice deceit, you who love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, O oh deceitful tongue. That doesn't sound like good soil, does it? No, sir. That sounds like limestone and crags and calcareous soil. What a place to plant a Christian. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land you are living. The righteous will see in fear. They will laugh at him saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold. He trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. We do not get our nutrients from the calcareous soil around us. We get our nutrients from the ancient root system that we are tapped into. Yeah. Romans 11 says, Remember then that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. That royal sap is flowing through our veins right now. 
I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. The psalm begins with talking about just how yucky and dark and nasty is the world around. Just how bad is the soil around. But he says, I am like an olive tree planted in the house of God. I will be tenacious. I will bloom with fruit. You can beat me and what I will produce is the anointing of God. You can light me on fire and what I will do is bring light to the darkness. If you cut me down, new life will grow up from the stump. You can't kill what God has planted here. So let me ask you, saints, why do we fear it? Why do we say, oh, you can't put a church over there. You know, that's not such a good neighborhood. That is where you plant an olive tree. One of my first experiences in church where I did not know a single Christian in the church. We moved the whole church building because it was in a bad area of town. Wouldn't that be a reason to locate in that area of town? Yeah. You know what? Let's do a mission trip, Devin. You and I, we're gonna, but we don't go to a bad area of the world. Let's do it in Honolulu. That'd be a good mission trip, right? There are churches that take those kind of missions trips. Little more than paid vacations. But that's not the calling of God. Where's the cry of the Moravians that said, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. He shall receive the just reward of His suffering, the obedience of the nations. They sold themselves into slavery to get the gospel into the Western Hemisphere. Where is that heart in the church today? I believe that it's beating in your chest if you will say, Awake, O sleeper. Rise. Let God's light shine upon you. I think this is God's desire. Or we can sit back, be blessed, and protect our own lives and do nothing for the Lord. I want with all of my heart to make a difference. Is that your heart's desire? Amen. Here comes your last scripture. It is Psalm 128. The man who raised me, a godly man. Most of you knew him. We got to bury him the last year. Love him very much. He's in the presence of God right now. He was the administrator at a private school. So he heard something a lot. My mother was a a teacher at the private school. We heard this all of the time. Little Johnny, little Susie. They're not a bad kid. They're just in with the wrong crowd. Y'all heard it too, huh? Which always begs the question then, if little Johnny and little Susie are not bad kids, they're just in with the wrong crowd, whose kids are the wrong crowd? Well, it's always somebody else's, isn't it? Somebody else's little Johnny, little Susie. Since we have an obligation, to raise our children with one endeavor. And that that ambition cannot be to be a doctor. That ambition cannot be the president. That ambition cannot be to be a lawyer. That ambition cannot be to live on a white house on a pretty hill with a picket fence. It's obedience or bust. It is God's will for my life or nothing. It is raise me up that I might serve you or take me now. That has got to be the heart. And some of them will be doctors. 
Some of them will be lawyers. Some of them may be the president or may live in that house on the hill. But if you get there any other way than God's ambition for your life, it's pagan idolatry. That's right. Listen to Psalm 128. In Psalm 128, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, And may you live to see your children's children. Shalom be upon Israel. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. That's because when you cut this tree down, it grows back out of the stump. When you shake it, its fruit falls to the ground, and right in the very same root system, little olive shoots grow up. They don't grow up to look exactly like the tree, but they're tapped into exactly the same roots. Amen. Your children will follow your lifestyle. They will. So I raised them in the church. I don't know what happened. You need to know that the church is not a building. Church is the group of those who are called out and assembled in the wilderness. And they have so fallen in love with the presence of God that they're fed by it. Their path is illuminated by it. Which begs the question, did you really raise them in the church? Because the church is not a building. It's that people group. We have a chance to be that people group. And it's completely up to us. I'm asking you, will you follow that burning fire? Will you let it fill you? Will you be that lamp that was filled for only one purpose? That it might illuminate the world around us. You're American Christians. You've heard thousands of good sermons. You've been motivated. You've been pampered. You've been taught. You've been coddled. That's because we're Americans. At some point, the scripture, he has been given much much is required is going to hit home in our heart. And the difference will be what we have done or have not done based on the faith that we have. Your faith should produce obedience, should produce fruit. Otherwise, even what we have, Luke 8 says, will be taken from us. I don't serve the Lord out of fear, and yet fear is the beginning of wisdom. Whoever changed this thing into some kind of fantasy league where everybody gets a prize, I would say they should be shot, but that's not quite right. There is a day. There is a day. We don't have to worry about that. The question is not what is everybody else doing. The question really is when you leave here, what will you do? That's the question. If something's important, you stay up late for it. You'll go to a ball game. You might be in bed every night at 8, but if the ball game's a good ball game, you don't have any problem staying out till midnight. If something's important, you spend your money on it. You know, we just don't have a dime, Pastor. We don't have it. But there's an event next month, and I have nothing to wear in my closet full of thousands of things. So I had to buy this, you know. We will do whatever we want to do. 
my ambition to adjust the desires of my heart to want what Jesus wants. Amen. If that's your ambition, stand with me. Thank <laughs> you.